Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. We have to recognize that we have all been impacted by systemic racism. That's the first place to start. You have to start with yourself. And when I when I say that, and this is not an original phrase um, by any means, but you you can't just say I'm not racist, but you have to be anti-racist. Um, it starts with that self-awareness that I have been impacted by racism. If you don't feel comfortable saying I'm racist, that's great. Just say, I have been impacted by racism, because that's the truth. Hello, and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Ashani Umfuko, who is a digital content creator, lifestyle influencer, anti-racism educator, professional dancer, and CEO of Ashani Umfuko Consulting Worldwide LLC based in the state of New York. She has been featured on Good Morning America, HGTV's House Hunters, Spectrum News, and many other media outlets and publications. She is also happily married to her soulmate, a proud mom of three, and believes that we all have a God-given purpose on this earth and deserve to live peacefully, freely, and be fully ourselves without fear of harm, discrimination, or mistreatment of any kind. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am ready to chat it up. Chat it up. <laughs> yes, I can't wait. I've been looking forward to talking to you now. Let me tell everyone how we first met. Um, back probably close to almost two years ago when virtual parties and Zooms were all the rage, um, right <laughs> right in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I was invited to join um, a mamarazzi um, Brooke Shields was, was a guest, you were a guest, and we all just had a really good chat that day. And, um, anyway, and I've just been following you, following you ever since on, on Instagram and have loved all the work that you've done, um, with anti-racism education. And I think last year you posted over 150 videos, um, for education and just information about anti-racism. And that's really what we're going to talk about today, at least the bulk of it. But I, before we get to that, I really want to have everyone get to know who you are first um, as, as a human being and as a person. And I just really love your story. And um, I love following you on Instagram for your inspiration. And um, you have just the cutest kids. If we if we lived closer, I for sure I would I would definitely be over. Um, you know, just I just love love your energy. I just love your just I just love that. So I want other people to know, you know, kind of who you are and and first. So, so I first want to ask you, um, you know, like I said, we're going to be talking about kids and and how to how parents can teach kids about anti racism. But you're a wife and you're a mom of three little ones and you're the CEO of your own company. 
So let me ask you, how do you do it? Because you seem to do it so flawlessly. <laughs> but, um, you know, any tips on owning a business and being a parent and a wife and a mom and, you know, how do you compartmentalize it all? Well, I think the number one thing for me is that I give myself grace. I give myself grace. Mm. And I don't try to do all the things because it's just not even possible. So why even, why yes. even try? <laughs> why even try? Yes. Um, what I, what I do focus on is prioritizing what's most important in the moment, right. For that particular day, um, right now. So right now I'm doing this wonderful podcast interview with you. I am present. I am in the moment. I am not thinking about what I have to do an hour from now. I'm not thinking about what I have to do tomorrow. I am fully here with you. And I think, um, when it comes to owning a business, being a wife, being a mom, doing all the things that we do, you know, you have to make sure that you're fully present in whatever you're doing and just focus on the next thing. What's the next thing you have to yep. do? Okay, so I completed this. Now I'm on to this thing. And that's where my focus is right now. I'm not thinking about 15 other things <laughs> while I'm doing yes. this one thing. Um, so that's really what's helped me a lot is just giving myself grace, being kind to myself, um, not putting unrealistic expectations on myself and understanding that everything is going to get done and it's time yes. and it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. <laughs> I, you know, I love that. I, and I, I actually very much agree um, to be present in the moment of what you're doing. And I think as moms, we, we feel the pressure sometimes to multitask and do it all. And sometimes I feel like that kind of sets us up to, I almost say fail, but fail because, you know, we put so much on our plate and we expect the most of us and we don't give ourselves enough grace. Mm -hmm. And you know, and then we can't be present with our kids because we're so worried about, you know, getting our taxes done and, you know, getting to this appointment and getting to this email and, you know, working from home for me, I'm constantly having the issue of setting my own boundaries around my work because I can work 24 seven if I want Listen, to. Right. That makes I mean, two of us. That makes two of yeah. us. I set my own hours and sometimes I, if I don't feel like working from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock in the morning and I feel like taking an hour off, which is fine, then I feel like around eight o'clock when the kids go to bed, I might get out some emails and do some emails, but the boundaries are a little unclear right. when you have that type of setup. So um, I love that advice about just being present in the moment and giving yourselves grace at the same time. Yeah, and you know, I, think, I think you need to be flexible too. I'll give you a perfect yeah. example. Um, last night I had planned on just like what you described, catching up with some work that I needed to get done. I'm launching a new program this month. And so I was like, okay, after the kids are in bed, I'm going to get some work done. I'm going to get ahead of the game for this week. Like I'm, I'm focused. Right. And then my husband's yep. like, um, do you want to watch a movie? And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> Man, okay. Oh, yeah. Yep. Let's yeah. do that. You know? So it's like you have to be flexible. And again, when you know what your priorities are, like my my marriage and having a healthy and happy marriage is one of my top priorities. We're actually celebrating our 12-year wedding anniversary this month. So wow, congratulations. Thank you. thank you. So yeah, you have to be able to adjust and, and shift when necessary based on what you know your priorities are. So that's important too. That is very true. And that is very true. And, and just, you know, prioritizing our lives in general, you know, cause we do have a lot going on. Um, and, you know, just being able, like you said, to, to prioritize what our values are the most, you know, if it's a, it's, if it's a happy, healthy marriage, if it's being a present mom, you know, if it is being, you know, whatever it is, you know, really looking at our values and, and basing our priorities off of those, I think is, is really important to remember. Absolutely. So so what do you love most about being a mom? I know there's a lot of challenges, you know, obviously there's, there's challenges in motherhood, but what do you love most, most about it? 
I think what I love most is the the pure, just unconditional love that you get from your children. Our children are still very young. We have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And there's just such a pure love and joy that comes from them. Um, and it's like, it's weird. Sometimes I feel like they know when I need a little bit more love, you know, like they can see that yeah. I'm, you know, stressed out or something because they'll just come to me and say, oh, mom, you're the best mom in the whole universe. <laughs> like, and that's Aww. the thing that they keep saying recently. That's like a thing that they say all the time now. At first, my <laughs> son, who's four, he said, mom, you're the best mom in the whole university. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, I think you mean universe, but thank you. Thank you so much. That's so, sweet. so just the way they love on you, um, it's very, it's very special. It's unlike any other love that you experience in your life. And like you said, t- of course, there are tons of challenges being a parent, but I think the best part of being a parent is just that pure unconditional love that you share with your, with your children. Yes, I agree. And it's it's funny. We actually have kids around the same age. I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, he just turned five. Wow. Yeah. So um, so they're right in that same age group. And, and I agree. They just, and they do know, they, they do, I think they feed off of that energy maybe that we have. And they do always seem to come and give you a hug or say something really sweet or, you know, whatever, you know, you need it the most. And um, I do. I love that too about being a mom. I just, um, I, I love just how even when I make mistakes, you know, I'll apologize and say, sorry, I just I'm having a bad day. And I, you know, probably lost some patience or, you know, whatever the case is. And they are just so forgiving. And it's just so sweet to see their, our unconditional love for them. But then, like you said, their unconditional love for, for us. Um, just, yeah, it's very, very sweet. They're very sweet at that age. So. Yeah, we can learn a lot from um, them too, a, you know. Yeah, it can be, can be a handful too, right? Oh, but <laughs> don't, don't get me started on that part. That's another episode. That's another episode now. Um, but you share, you know, your home life on on your um, social media, specifically Instagram is where I follow you. Um, and uh, you know, I've seen your beautiful home, and again, your beautiful family. And you have a story to tell because in December, um, you were on an episode of House Hunters. Yes. <laughs> so yes. What was that like, and how did that even happen? And just yeah, what what was all that process like? Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun for our family. I personally have been a fan of HGTV and specifically House Hunters for like the past twenty years. You know, I've been watching it forever, yeah, and never did I ever think that I would be on the show. Um, so that was just like such a rewarding experience, and to be able to share it with the family was just like the cherry on top. I mean, that was the highlight of. 2021 besides buying yeah. besides buying our dream home that was kind of a highlight too but um it was a really fun experience it was a lot more work than I anticipated and I've done lots of television but it was way more work than I ever thought it was going to be but it was so much fun um they have some really really solid NDAs over there so I can't talk about casting or production but what I can sure. say is that it was such an amazing experience we enjoyed working with the producers and the crew and um, our realtor our realtor was on the show and she was our real realtor in real life um so it was just it was just such an amazing experience and to capture the moment and document the experience of us buying our dream home our forever home um on hd on hgtv's house hunters is just like just the best thing in life i mean it doesn't it doesn't get much better than that (laughs) 
No, I bet. I bet it was just completely amazing. I'm a big fan of HGTV too. And I think that would just be an amazing experience. Now, can people still watch it? I know it aired in December, but if we go on HGTV, like, how does that work? Like, can people still see the show or the episode if they wanted to, or do they have to wait until it just reruns randomly? Yeah. Well, I don't know about when the reruns play, but it is available to to watch. So you can watch it on like YouTube TV or Discovery Plus, Hulu, all these different places where you stream your favorite shows. Um, You can still watch the episode and it's actually uh, season 208, episode 10. And it's called Growing Upstate. Yeah. What is it? Okay, say, say the title again. The title is Growing Upstate, and it's season 208, okay. episode 10. So you can go anywhere, and it's okay. still available. That is so fun. I just can't imagine season 208. Like, that's it's been on for a Listen, while. Like, it's a big show. I told you, I've been watching the show for like 20 years. I, I was not exaggerating. I was in my 20s when I started watching the show. I'm 42 right now. So it's been a while. It's been a while. So, I mean, it was it was just a life altering experience and and to share that to be on the show and then to be able to watch it you know and then share that experience with all of our friends and family and all my you know people online it was just so exciting because we actually had to keep it a secret so one thing I can say is that you're not allowed to tell people that you're going to be on the show until you get the air date for the show and they don't tell you when you're going to get the air date so you're just waiting, right. literally, you're just waiting for months. And um, oh, the odd thing too was like you said, you follow me on Instagram. So, you know, I share my life on Instagram. I share my my home. I share our activities, what we're doing. I'm in the kitchen. I'm in my office. I'm in different places. And um, we were not allowed to even tell people that we moved. So it's like, wow. okay, I do all these oh, videos gosh. from home every single day, but I can't say that we moved. I can't say that we sold our house. I can't say we bought a new house. And I certainly can't tell people we're going to be on HGTV's House Hunters. So it was a struggle. Hard. It was a challenge yeah, was for about six months. Like the show, oh, yeah, we moved, we closed in July and the show didn't air until like the end of December. So all that time <laughs> I had to pretend like nothing had happened. So it was, right. woo, it was wild. It was wild. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be really, that would be really, I couldn't keep, that's a really hard secret to keep. Like that's a pretty big secret to keep too. You know, that's, that would be hard, but it's really cool that one day your kids are, I mean, I'm sure they're obviously old enough now to know that what happened, but they'll really appreciate, I think when they grow up and, you know, have that as their forever home and have that as the, as the, you know, first moment or the first time that they moved in and see them, you know, back at that age. And I think it's just a really cool thing for them as they grow up too, I think. would. And that was the whole idea. We just felt like it would just be such a cool experience and a cool way to document this major you know exciting transition for our family and to have that as a memory so yeah it was amazing exactly exactly okay one more personal question then we'll get to anti-racism because that's really the the core of really right I wanted you to be on the show today but um as we talked about before we started recording that um I've, I've been a dancer my whole life um grew up dancing and just absolutely loved it I know you're a professional dancer um, and I watch you again on social media that you have so much fitness inspiration. You, you know, document your workouts, um, you know, almost, I think on a daily basis, at least from what I've seen and, um, and whatnot, it's just obviously so important for our health and just in general, but does Dan, as a, as a therapist, I'm asking, um, is dancing a way that you manage your stress throughout the day, like working out fitness, dancing, I think you even have a dance studio in your, in your new home. Um, but does that help you, um, manage some of your stress when, when life does get challenging? Oh, yes. I would say movement, just movement. Um, it can be dancing. It could be doing a workout. It could be going for a walk. It could be dancing around the house with the kids. You know, movement for me is just 
it's so necessary. And because I'm a professional dancer and I, I've spent most of my life dancing, I started dancing when I was 10 years old. Um, it's just a part of who I am. And it's almost like if I'm not dancing and if I'm not incorporating movement into my daily life, I feel like a part of me is, is dying. <laughs> I know that sounds very yeah. like, dramatic, but no, I get you it. know, it's like a part of me is just not living fully. And, um, my, my daily workouts, like you said, I, I share them on, on Instagram every day. And it's just part of how I maintain my mental health and, and well-being as a mom, wife, business owner, creative artist, all of those things. Um, it, it's a way to relieve stress and relieve tension from my body. And then also to energize myself. And, and really going back to the first question that you asked me, it's, it's part of how I manage it, manage it all, because what I do is mm -hmm. I prioritize myself first. I yes. prioritize myself first. My mental health and my physical health comes first, because if I'm not okay, then I can't fulfill any of those roles, any of those responsibilities that come with all of the things that I, that I have to do every day. So I prioritize right. that. Movement for me is so important. I had um, COVID-19. As a matter of fact, I got COVID-19 right when our show aired on HGTV in December. Oh, wow. It was a few days before Christmas, and I found out I had the virus, and I was very sick. And so oh, no. from right before Christmas to New Year's, I was sick. I was at home. I was, you know, in the bed. Thank God my husband was off from work during that time, so he was able to, you know, step in and just help out with the kids and everything. But so I didn't work out for two weeks. And when I tell wow. you, I thought I was about to lose my mind. <laughs> I said, Lord, help me get better so I can get up and move because yes. it's just laying in the bed and not having energy and, you know, all of that stuff that comes with, you know, being sick. It was just, it took a toll and it takes a toll on you, not just physically, but mentally. So beginning of the year, yes. I got into it and I said, "Woo, let's go every morning. Let's get into this gym. And in our new home, we have a home gym, like you mentioned which is my home gym slash studio. And um, it's just so convenient to be able to just go downstairs. I have the space. Everything is set up. We have our TV in there, um, all, you know, our equipment and everything. And it's just my time. The beginning of the day in the morning before everybody wakes up, it's my time. And that's how I start my day um, after I have my, you know, devotions and meditation time and stuff. And it's so important to do that in order to maintain your yes. mental health and well-being. If you can't get around that. If you don't have some sort of um, routine that prioritizes your own mental and physical health every single day, besides whatever else you have to do, you, it's a must. It's a must. Whether it's dancing, working out, walking, whatever it is, it has to be something. So yeah, it's a very important part of my of my daily life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, honestly. I mean, 100%. Um, even I went through this kind of funk last week where I just, I wasn't inspired. I couldn't get motivated. I felt like I just, like just nothing was getting done. I didn't really feel like getting anything done. And I was just in a funk. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't work out that week. It was raining. The weather was kind of bad too. And so over the weekend, I, I kind of went through the same kind of mental, you know, um, I guess, inspiration or inspiring myself mentally of saying, you know what? No, I'm going to take control of this. And I'm going to, you know, so I, so when I notice myself, like not pri I don't say prioritizing, but when I notice myself just kind of winging it mm -hmm. throughout the week, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
my weeks go much more poorly. But if I sit down and I make a list of everything I need to get done for even just that next day or my goals for the week, whatever it may be, even just getting my taxes done or calling to make my eye doctor appointment or whatever the case may be, I have to write it down and I have to organize it on paper first. That just helps me so much. And then, like you said, prioritizing, because I can say all day long, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym or I don't have time to do my devotions. or I don't have time to do this or that. But prioritizing, again, going back to values, like what is the most important thing I need to do for my own self, my own mental health, you know, my own physical health, all those things. And when I do, it's amazing what I can accomplish. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how motivated and inspired I am to get things done. And, you know, it's just, it really makes a big difference. So again, just couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> it makes all the difference. It all does. It does. All right. So let's, let's shift gears now. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, you've posted over 150 videos regarding, regarding anti-racism in 2021 and have educated so many. And I've just loved following you online because you are just so inspiring, like I mentioned earlier, and I've learned so much from you. Um, so I want to ask you about some, some tough questions when it comes to anti-racism. But before we do, we're just going to take a really quick break. Okay, so I want to ask you, where can someone start educating themselves on systemic racism? Uh, What are some credible resources and and what do you suggest where a a person can start doing the work? Okay, I would start with with reading some books. That's always a great place to start. Education, right? Um, A few books that I recommend to get started with would be a book called Cast, um, C-A-S-T-E by Isabel Wilkerson. That's a great place to start. Another great book is um, a book called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Um, Another great book is called How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby. There are so many resources. And the beautiful thing is that pretty much all of the authors who write about anti-racism, they're all on social media too. So you can follow them and they are constantly sharing free education um, on social media besides the books that they have published and all of that. So I actually have an anti-racism education book list on my Amazon store. So if you go to my website, ashaneamfuko.com and click on resources, it'll take you right to my Amazon store. And then you can just click on the book list there. And there's literally tons of books there. Um, And that's a great place to get started. Pretty much every streaming service also, maybe like Netflix and Hulu, they have um, different I guess, I don't want to call it a playlist, but different sections that highlight films um, that can help people learn about anti-racism and black history and all that kind of stuff too. So if you're not someone who is big on reading books, you can watch films as well. Um, and that's a, that's a great way just to get started, just to get started. Yes. <laughs> we're yes, not stopping yes, there, exactly. but we're, we're just getting yeah. started there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, and, and and I've heard you say it's not enough to say I'm not racist, but to be anti-racist, right. Um, right. you know, and, and actively working against racism. Yeah. And like you said, continuing to do the work, continuing to educate yourselves, continuing to, you know, support black owned businesses to continue supporting, you know, you know, lots of different things. I know people, you know, in conversations I've heard say, well, I want to do more, but I don't know, wh- like, again, where to start mm-hmm. or where to go and how to keep going. And I know we're going to talk about some of your programs, you know, near the end of the show, because um, you have a lot of great resources yourself, you know, and I know you're launching something new this month, too, that hopefully you can, 
you know, tease us with yes. it. Um, you know? <laughs> but, but, you know, you had mentioned, you know, how people get started. That's a great place to start. But how can someone actively play that role where, you know, they're actively, you know, working towards being anti-racist? So I think the first thing is that we have to recognize that we have all been impacted by systemic racism. That's the first place to start. You have to start with yourself. And when I when I say that, and this is not an original phrase um, by any means, but you you can't just say I'm not racist, but you have to be anti-racist. Um, it starts with that self-awareness that I have been impacted by racism. If you don't feel comfortable saying I'm racist, that's great. Just say I have been impacted by racism because that's the truth. If you are living in our society today, you have been impacted by racism. And so given that we're, you know, technically still in the middle of a global pandemic, even though we're on the on the ends of it, um, I like to tell people to think of it, think of systemic racism as a virus and and anti-racism is it's the actions that you take to help kill the virus, right? Or to prevent it from spreading. So right. just like with, you know, here in New York, they just um, they just ended the mandates that people have to wear masks, right? For the kids at school, on the bus and different businesses and all of that stuff. So people are very excited about not having to wear masks anymore. But the idea in the beginning was that it's a, it's a measure to help prevent. It's like, you assume that you have the virus. And then you're going to act based on that assumption, like assuming that I have it, let me make sure I'm not infecting other people. Make sure, let me make sure I'm not spreading it. Let me make sure I'm taking right. all the precautions to do everything to help heal myself and get better so that I can then help other people who may be in need and also make sure I'm not spreading this virus, right? So when you think of systemic racism, think of it as a virus and you're assuming that you already have it. You didn't mm-hmm. actively go out to get the virus, <laughs> Right. Sure, it, you sure. were, it was just something that happened to you. You were born into this society. Our society has, has been based on systemic racism since forever, right? So we've all been impacted right. by it. So if people can start just with that self-awareness and internally saying, I have been impacted by this. So therefore, if I'm going to call myself anti-racist, then I need to be taking specific actions to help heal myself, unlearn the wrong things that I've been programmed with through society and the education system and my family possibly and through the media and be actively doing things to reprogram my mind and then make sure that this virus of systemic racism does not continue to spread. So if people can think of it in those terms, I think it'll be a lot more helpful um, because people get very defensive and very tense, you know, when the topic of racism comes up in the first place at all. And then they often shut down. And you can't grow from a place where you've shut down. Like there's no place to go from there. (laughs) Yeah. There's no conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think the self-awareness piece is, you know, extremely important because, and just, you know, shifting your mindset, you know, like you said, of of saying that to yourself um, and then doing some work, educating yourself, reading the books, you know, and whatnot. um, Again, is a great place to start because as a parent, we want to educate the next generation. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 
we would love to change, you know, what, what you've said, you know, obviously racism and systemic racism has been around since forever. And the goal would be to, to change that. And it starts with Mm -hmm. us. And I I think you had posted a video not too long ago of, of who, you know, quote unquote, they, you know, they are need to work on it or they need to do something about it. And I loved, you know, how you handled it and how you said, no, they is you Mm -hmm. like you're in it. You are they, (laughs) they should really do something about that. Okay. Yeah. That's you. <laughs> you right. should really do something about it. <laughs> right. So, you know, as parents, you know, especially of young kids, you know, again, we both have kids in the same age group and, you know, for the kids that are still waiting to be born, um, you know, the goal or the hope would be that something would change. Right. Um, and again, it starts with us as, as individuals, me, I'll, I'll say, you know, speak for myself. It starts with me. Mm-hmm. And it starts with you and it starts with the other person who's listening and the other person who's, you know, who's out there. Um, but as parents, we want to teach our kids also how to be anti-racist. But where does a parent start? Again, it could be maybe with, you know, children's books and things like that. And I wanted to get your idea of, you know, maybe some suggestions for that too. But but in, in the language we use with our children, possibly, mm-hmm. you know, um, in what we expose our kids to on television or you know, whatever the case is, what, from your perspective, what do you suggest parents can do to try and help their children um, to be anti-racist? How do we teach them that? Yeah, I think, again, the first thing is starting with yourself. That's the that's step one, because your children are going to learn from how you live your life. You mm-hmm. can read all the books of them you want to read, but if you still right. have internalized racism that's showing up in your behaviors and in your attitudes and in how you interact with folks and how you respond to things that you see happening in the media and in politics and so on and so forth and your neighbors and all of those different things, that's going to send a stronger message to them that will override whatever books you read to them. So if you are not working on yourself first, you're not going to really be able to teach them much because your behaviors and your attitudes will override whatever educational you know, resources you're trying to expose them to. So again, start with healing yourself. Start with healing yourself. Start with educating yourself. That's the first thing. Uh, Number two, normalize, you know, the reality of systemic racism, the truth and the facts about systemic racism. Don't, don't try to um, water it down, water down what it is, or pretend like it's not really a big deal. You know, just be kind to everyone. Kindness solves everything. No, it does not. Kindness Mm -hmm. alone does not. Love alone does not. And frankly, love and justice go hand in hand. So Mm -hmm. if you're telling people to be loving, be kind to others, you know, all of these things, that's, that's great. Your children can get that. But um, the reality is there are systems that are in place there are um, racist mindsets that have been passed down from generation to generation. There's this racist programming that comes through the media. And we've been seeing it happening now with everything that's been happening with the Russia-Ukraine war. We've seen racism showing up, right? And so it's like, it's it's insidious. And then it's also um, in other times just very blatant and very obvious, like very clear. This person, these two people committed a crime. The white person got this sentence. The black person got a harsher sentence. What does that tell you? There's obviously a disparity. There's obviously a problem somewhere. What's the problem, right? So we have to be honest and we have to be direct and clear with our children about what it really is, right? So you can tell you can tell your kids, you know, 
be kind to everybody at your school, you know, no matter what they look like and no matter if they are differently abled than you or, you know, if they have the same abilities that you do and so on and so forth. But the reality is the kids can see the differences and they can also see when people are being treated differently. So we have to address that. We can't beat around the bush and say, well, you know, and listen, it's uncomfortable. You think it's uncomfortable for you to talk about racism with your kids? It's uncomfortable for black folks to talk about systemic racism with our children because how in the world do we explain this to them without them feeling like there's something wrong with me or without them feeling afraid of just living life? Because we have to tell them, well, you know, the reality is some people are going to view you in this way without you having done anything, just just based on how you look. You didn't even say anything yet. <laughs> you didn't even do anything. Yeah. You just showed up. You're just walking down yep. the street, you know? So it's a difficult and uncomfortable yes. conversation to have. However, as it is with, with all aspects of parenting, we don't avoid difficult conversations just because it makes us uncomfortable. We have to face the truth and we have to teach our kids the truth and be honest with them so that they can learn. And then, like you said, they can do better and they can bring about the changes that we so desperately need in our society that we have yet to be able to accomplish. So you have to be honest. You have to work on yourself. You have to educate yourself and you have to be honest in your conversations with your children about this. And if you feel like, this is out of my pay grade. I don't even know how to answer these questions. I don't even know what to tell these kids. Then you need to connect with someone like me or other mm-hmm. anti-racism educators or other black people who are open to having these conversations and, and being there to support you in those conversations so that you can get the help that you need. Like you don't have to carry the weight of this alone, but you are responsible for communicating these things to your children in an honest way and teaching them the facts about history and not avoiding it just because it makes you or your children uncomfortable. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Now, I know I didn't put this in the questions I gave you originally, but just from what you were just saying, um, a phrase that just kept coming up in my head as you were talking um, of, of hearing other parents maybe try, I, I attempt to help teach their children. Um, so let me just say it to you and then let me know what you think about it because I've definitely heard, you know, over the last couple of years, especially, you know, a lot of parents say, quote, we teach our children to not see color. Oh God, Lord, that's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. That's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Because because I hear parents say that, and I think, I don't know if that's helpful. I don't know if that's damaging, you know? Um, so I just wanted to get your response on that. You know, as parents, again, I don't know if if that if they're trying to be helpful by saying that or if that's just ignorance or, or, or what it is. But can you just give it your two cents on just that alone? Because I do hear it often, and I feel like it's probably someone like myself or anyone who hears it should say something about it, but then what do we say? How do we correct that? Right. So that is one of the worst phrases <laughs> of all time. Yeah. So anyone who's yeah. listening to this show, please don't ever say that phrase ever again in your life. Just let it, just, if you said it before in the past, it's all good, it's done. Just don't ever say it ever again. And I'll tell you why. If you don't see color, that means that, first of all, you don't see people fully for who they are because the the way that they look, the color of their skin is representative of their identity, where they come from, their family, their culture, and a host of other different things that have nothing to do with racism, but just a part of who someone is. 
So why would you not want to see that color? And then also that just um, means that you're saying there's something wrong with recognizing someone's color. Like what is, what, what's, what's wrong with that? Why is that, why right. is that wrong? And then what color do you recognize? Because you get dressed every day and you see color because you match your outfits. Um, you go to the store and you request, oh, I would like to, you know, purchase a, a pink shirt or I would like to purchase a blue, whatever, a blue sweater. So you know what color is. So it's, it's really not even honest. It's not even an honest thing to say, which is what you're really saying is I want to avoid any conversations about race. So I'm going to say I don't see color. Yes, that's exactly what no, I was yeah, just thinking. That's all you're really yeah. saying. And we see right through you. Everybody can see right through it. And it's a very ignorant and insensitive statement to make. So please don't ever say that again. Now, yes, <laughs> just, I think it, it's, just don't. It's avoiding, yeah. it's avoiding the issue at exactly. hand. It's saying, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to be a part oh, of yeah. it. So I'm just going to, you know, <laughs> embrace everybody and everyone's the same mm-hmm. and, every, and, it's, and it's not. And like you said, I think it starts with even just the language we oh, use. Yeah. Because then um, you, can't, you can't address the systemic racism. You can't address systemic, structural, institutional, or interpersonal racism that is based on um, cult, the people of, of uh, people, the color of people's skin, right? If you say, I don't see color. If I don't see color, I don't see the problem. Well, that's great because right. number one, that, that tells us that you are not affected by the problems. So what you're saying is because the problems don't affect me, I don't see it. I'm ignoring it. I don't want to talk about it. It's not even worth it. I don't even, what? How could there be a problem with systemic racism? I don't even see color. How could I? I'm not racist. I don't have any internalized racism. I haven't been affected by the racism that is abundant in our society that we're taught from the time that we're born because I don't even see color. And that's just not an honest statement. And you need to say what you're really meaning, which is that I know this is happening and I don't want to talk about it and I don't want to deal with it. And that's just the reality, right? So let's let's leave that alone. Let's let's make sure we're recognizing and embracing and celebrating the beauty of our differences, the beauty of different skin tones, the beauty of different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures and all of that. And in order to do that, we need to recognize we do see color and you are impacted. <clears throat> excuse me, you are impacted by it. And maybe they're trying to say, well, I don't treat people differently based on the color of their skin. And maybe you maybe you try not to. Maybe that's your goal. Maybe that's your intention. That doesn't mean that you that you don't ever do that. But again, it's right. the it's the mental program that you have received from birth through the society yes. that we live in. It's just a part of it. It's no different from the mental programming that we've all received about diet culture and about bodies since we since we were born. What's a good body? What's a bad body? What's healthy? What's not healthy? What bodies are valid? What bodies need to be shamed? Right. This is this right. is mental programming that we receive. From the moment that we're born, okay, it's the same thing with systemic racism. So we have to make sure we're counteracting that and avoiding the conversations and opting out and saying, well, I don't see color. That's not the answer. And that does not help anyone. Yes, you see color. Yes, you recognize that people are treated differently based on the color of their skin. Let's talk about that. Let's address that. How can you make a difference? How can you start changing that? Right? But we can't have conversations about it. If you're just opting out and saying, listen, I'm, I'm innocent. I have nothing to do with this. I didn't do anything. Well, you know what? You're right. You didn't do anything and you should be doing something. Right. Right. So what can people do? What, um, you know, what can people, what can parents say to their kids? Um, you know, when they're, when they're talking about this, um, you know, again, let's hopefully after they've already kind of started some self-awareness some some self-education and things like that, um, what kind of conversations or what kind of things and language and, and maybe even, um, having your child go through the process of 
um, you know, supporting a specific community or um, a specific cause or um, supporting, like I said, a black owned business, um, you know, online and making the purchase together. Or I don't know what what do you suggest parents can do with their kids to start that conversation with them? Okay, two things. Number one is to normalize black people and black culture and the black experience. What do I mean by that? I mean that if everyone in your circle is white and you're white, there needs to be there needs to be a shift there. If everyone at your job is white and you're white, there needs to be a shift there. Um, if you have no interactions, all the shows that you watch on TV, all of the characters are white. If all the movies that you watch, most of the characters, leading characters are white and so on and so forth. Do you see where I'm going with this? You have to yes. make it a part of your normal daily life, right? And unfortunately, yes. because of systemic racism and the way that whiteness has been treated as the default or as what is normal and everything that's not white is othered, is different, is bad, is something else, right? We need mm -hmm. to normalize Black people, Black culture, and the Black experience as just a part of normal everyday life. That's just a part right. of what it is. And so you have to really, again, starts with yourself. Look at your life. Like, I love, I know that people want a checklist. Support a Black-owned business. Donate to Black-led organizations that fight against racial injustice, and so on and so forth. I know that people want those checklists so that they can go down the checklist and check it off and be like, oh, I did that. I'm done. You're not done. Mm -hmm. You're never done. And right. it's, a, it's a constant unlearning and relearning and reprogramming process. And so number one, you need to normalize the black experience and black culture and teach your children, tell your children, you know that music that you're listening to? Black people invented that music, right? Black culture mm -hmm. is all around yeah. us. You know, those styles and that fashion that you like to wear that's trendy right now? Black people invented that. You know, those TikTok dances that you like to do? Black people invented those dances and so on and so forth and incorporated into your daily life and celebrate it. Celebrate us, normalize black people um, being just valid in whatever in whatever way they exist. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, this person is a doctor. Wow, it's a black person that's a doctor. That's amazing. Like, what? <laughs> black people right. have been doing everything since the beginning of time, okay? So we have to normalize it and not make it as so much of an outside thing. Like it's so mm -hmm. different from most, a lot of white people's daily lives because black people are not integrated in black culture and the black experience within your life. And so it, it's, it's very difficult to try to bring it in because it's so separate. And I think that's part of the problem. But again, that's how society has set it up for you. So then what happens is people turn on the news and they see, oh, you know, this person, uh, there was a shooting in Brooklyn you know, and they show uh, a black, you know, black suspect or something like that. And then they see, they hear a new song come out and it's a black rapper. And so they start to associate black athletes, black music, black criminals. They start to make these associations because that's all that they're being exposed to in a lot of ways. So as a parent, right. it's your job to make sure you're exposing them to the fullness and the abundance of black culture and the black experience and normalizing it just like it is for them being a white kid in a white neighborhood, you know? Um, so I think that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is that you have to address and correct. You have to address and correct. So you teach your, ch your children also, 
to address and correct. If they see something happening, they don't just ignore it. They don't let it slide. They hear a friend or a family member say something that they know is is racist, right? Or it's mm-hmm. it's it's prejudice or it's something that is like a discriminatory discriminatory type of term. You address it and you correct it. You don't let anything slide. You don't let anything slide. You know, oh, right. that's just my racist uncle. He's always, he, Lord, he always has some nonsense to say. And the whole family knows it's wrong and it's inappropriate, but nobody says anything because they don't want to start any trouble with him. Start some trouble with him. It's okay. Yeah. Start it. Because what happens is he gets used to being that way and everybody normalizes it in the family. Even if you do kind of see him as sort of like an outcast, like, well, we're not like him. That's still not okay because then he's going, he's going back home. He's going to work. And then he's taking all of that with him. And then we're being negatively impacted because you're being silent. So you need to be speaking up in spaces and places where we're not even present. That's where we need y'all doing the work because there are certain places and spaces where we may never be. And not to mention, we shouldn't have to be the ones speaking up. But anyhow, you're in those spaces. You speak up, you address it and you correct it. And you do that on every level, not just interpersonal communications, but also from a systemic standpoint, how you vote who you're voting for, what laws and policies you're supporting. Um, when you see things happening at work or at your job, what are you doing? Are you helping to create more equitable you know, systems and, and processes there? In the education system, you see people in your neighborhood saying, you know, oh, well, we want to ban these books from being, um, being read and being taught in the schools. Well, it's, this is your time to stand up and do something about it. Right. So it has to be a lifestyle. And you've heard me say this. If you follow me, you've heard me say anti-racism is not a diet. It's a lifestyle. So it's not something that you do for six months or three months or two months or during Black History Month or during during Juneteenth or Kwanzaa. And then you're done. You get no checklist to check things off and be done with it. It's never done. It's a lifestyle. Yes, I I love that. And I love that you brought up, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, the bystander who you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Period. And Period. if if you're there watching and listening and observing something that's going wrong or s- something that's not right, then you do need to speak up. And if you don't, then you are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're letting it happen. And, and by doing that, you're saying this is okay because you're not doing anything about it. So um, I love that. I know you have your, your Amazon um, you know, book list for adults. Um, do you happen to have any children's books on there as well that parents can use for their kids? I need to, I need to create a separate list for that because I feel like it will be easier for people that way. I did just grab, um, a few that I can recommend right now. People want to go ahead and explore those. Um, one is called stamped by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. Most people know Ibram X. Kendi for his book, um, how to be anti-racist. Um, but this book is called Stamped and it's kind of like a remixed version of another book that they authored called Stamped from the Beginning. And it's for teens, it's for tweens um, to understand how the history of racist ideas shape today's culture. So that's a really great book um, to start with. And again, you don't want your kids just to read the books. <clears throat> You want to have conversations right. with them about it, right? So don't just throw a book at them yeah. and be like, hey, read this. And uh, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, like read chapter. It doesn't stop yeah. We're going to read it together. You read chapter one, I'll read chapter one, and then let's talk about it. 
over dinner or let's talk about it on the weekend while we're driving to, you know, your soccer practice or something, whatever. So again, we're making it a part of your lifestyle. We're making it a part of your lifestyle. Um, another great book is called How the Word is Passed. Um, that's by Clint Smith. Um, another amazing author. Her name is Jacqueline Woodson, and she has numerous books, but two that I can recommend is one that's called The Day You Begin. Um, that's good for ages five to eight. And then another book is called The Other Side by Jacqueline Woodson, and that's great for um, ages four to eight. So those are just a few to get started. Again, everything is online. You can just do a search um, and things will come up. But think of it, if you take one thing away from <laughs> this interview, anti-racism is not a diet, it's a lifestyle. So how are yeah. you living it out every single day? Um, TikTok is huge right now for kids. You know, How can you use what they're already doing, use what they're already doing, where they're already interacting and use that to educate them and to start conversations and to help them? I can recommend, you know, besides myself, <laughs> lots of really great um, people on TikTok who educate about anti-racism and just in general, just black culture on TikTok is huge. And black culture yes. drives um, a lot of pop culture, right? A lot of the trends that we see in our society, they come from black culture. Like I mentioned, all of the TikTok dances, it's always started by black creators. It's always started by us, right? So different things, yes. be aware, be aware of what's happening and, and, um, have the have the understanding to be able to tie that into your education for your children about racism and systemic racism. So if you hear them using certain words or certain phrases, um, and that's why you have to educate yourself first because you may not know the difference. Um, that that is actually African American vernacular English, also known as AAVE. There are certain terms and phrases and words and ways of speaking that non-black kids may start to adopt and use, but it comes from black culture. And some of it is not really appropriate for them to be using, but nonetheless, it's important for them to understand where that comes from. Like I right. heard you say X, Y, and Z. Well, do you know that comes from black culture, right? Do you know what African-American right. vernacular English is? Okay, and so on and so forth. So again, it's kind of incorporating those teaching moments into your daily lifestyle. It's not a Black History Month thing. It's not a Juneteenth thing. It's not a, well, they'll learn it, they'll learn it in school thing. It has to be a lifestyle. Yes. And I think it, do start, it does start with the parents too. Mm -hmm. I think having those conversations um, with kids, I think is, is a huge component and a huge part of, of, of doing the work and, and learning and educating. So I know you have a lot of resources on your website. I know you've given a lot today and um, I'm just so appreciative um, from what you've shared today. And I really hope everyone who's listening to this episode is, is this might be a starting point for some out there. And I, I hope it's only the beginning um, for anyone who's listening today. But um, I want to share some, some of your uh, resources, like your one-on-one -on -one consultations. Um, you just finished, I know it's going to be uh, ongoing, but you just finished a 21-day anti-racism challenge. Um, you have an anti-racism school is in session training series. Um, tell us a little bit more about those and where others can can go to your website and sign up for those. Awesome. Thank you. So my website is ashineandfuko.com. Everything that you need is all there. It's already there. Um, but back in 2020, I started an educational training series called Anti-Racism School is in Session um, to help educate people about 
systemic racism and how to be anti-racist. That was um, what initiated my feature on Spectrum News. Spectrum News came and did a whole story on me and um, that series and my family and, and all of that. And um, that was monthly webinars and trainings for people that I did for uh, 2020. So then in 2021, I wanted to go a little bit deeper and, and help people to make anti-racism a lifestyle. And as you know, it is said that if you can do anything for 21 days, you can make it a habit. You can make it a lifestyle. So I launched my 21 days of anti-racism challenge to help people go a little bit deeper and shifting their lifestyle into an anti-racist lifestyle. Um, and then I provided support. I mean, it was it was huge. When I launched it initially for Black History Month in 2021, I was blown away at the response. Like I had never imagined so many people from all over the world would sign up to do this challenge. But <clears throat> it's been transformative. It's been life-changing. And I highly recommend it as a good starting point if you're trying to enter into this anti-racist lifestyle that I keep talking about. Because what it does is it helps you to not only get the knowledge and the facts about history, but it empowers you with the tools that you need to be able to have these hard conversations and to do the work, right? Because you, yeah. you need to learn that. Like, where do you learn that? You have to, you have to take the initiative to learn it because you're not going to learn it from school and your parents didn't teach it to you because, you know, they probably didn't know themselves. So this is just kind of like a really great launching point for really living an anti-racist lifestyle. So that's the 21 days of anti-racism challenge. I also have a Patreon community that I created just to be able to make myself available to people, um, to share some, some content that is not content that I share on social media. Um, as you know, social media is definitely not a safe space for <laughs> black women <laughs> who talk about sure. anti-racism. Um, so we deal with a lot of harassment and, and racism, of course, and bullying and all that kind of stuff. So I created my Patreon community to create a safe space, not just for me, but for all of us to connect and for me to answer questions and just share exclusive content with my community members um, so that they can continue their, their lifestyle of anti-racism. So that's all on my website. Um, I'm actually getting ready to launch a new program, which I know that you <laughs> kind of yes, like, was I'm... like, can you tease us a little bit? Can you tease us? Yes. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. You know, I feel like this new program is a culmination of everything that I have done like over the past 20 years. You know, I'm 42 years old. I have done a whole lot over my career and the past two years really focusing on anti-racism education exposed me to a lot of things that I had never seen before. And I got feedback from people that I had never heard before. And what I heard often was, you know, how you're so great at speaking up and speaking out. You're so bold. You're so courageous. Um, you're so strong and all of these things. And it was like, they were saying like, you're like that, but I can never be like that. And I'm over here like, uh, no, yes, you can. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, yes, you can. Oh yes, you sure can. <laughs> right. So it's more than just telling someone, yes, you can do it. Yes. You can have the confidence and the boldness to speak out. Um, yes, you can speak out about what you value and what you stand against and what you're fighting against and what you're fighting for. And, you know, just not be so concerned about other people and how they're going to respond to you when you really show up as your full self and say, Hey, I'm against this. So I'm speaking up, right. and I'm speaking out. So I created this new program and I'm really excited about it. It's called who owns your voice. 
and it's an online leadership training academy. It is not specifically focused on anti-racism, but it is helping to build more socially conscious anti-racist leaders who own their voice with boldness, you know, are not shrinking down um, in the face of injustice or in the midst of a crisis, but who know how to operate from their highest values, boundaries, authenticity, integrity, um, and everything that they do. So it's really a leadership training academy that's going to be um, online. And it's helping people to own their voice with boldness and learn the tools, learn the skills, learn um, how to communicate properly. And, and for those of, of you who have a business or you're an entrepreneur, you have a brand that you're building online, this will also help you to build your brand in a way that's socially conscious and anti-racist, right? And not being yeah. so concerned with how will people respond? How will they react? If I show up as my full self, if I speak openly about this, if I speak openly against this, what's going to happen, right? We're moving beyond right. that point. We're, we're elevating. We're elevating to a higher level where you say, my values matter so much. And me making a positive, lasting difference in this world matters so much that I'm going to show up as my full self. I'm going to own my voice. I'm going to be clear about it. <clears throat> I'm going to lead from this place authentically. And people can do whatever they're going to do. They can meet me there and join me and we can do it together yes. or they can, you know, exit stage left. It's on them. So it's really just to help build more um, socially conscious anti-racist leaders in every aspect of the world. Wow. Like whatever industry you're in doesn't matter. If, you know, if you don't even feel like you are a leader because you're like, I'm just a stay at home mom. It's for you too. It's for everybody. So, yes. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I'm. <laughs> So excited. I am so excited. That sounds incredible. Um, and I know you're launching later this month. Um, with, like, can, can people just go to your website? When, when you launch it, people can just go to the website to sign up for it, oh, absolutely. right? absolutely. It'll be on my website, ashaneyandfuko.com. If you follow me on social media, like on Instagram or TikTok, I have links. Um, there's one link in my bio that you click on, and then it takes you to, to another page with um, several different links. For different places so the 21 days of anti-racism challenge um to my amazon book list and then the who owns your voice online leadership training academy will be there as well so once everything is up you can go to the link in my bio on instagram or tiktok it'll be there or you can just go to ashaneyandfuko.com and yeah and i'm on linkedin too i like my linkedin community is amazing and i'm really really um active on linkedin so if you're on there feel free to join Join the party. Yes, I want to. I'm on LinkedIn too. I don't I don't think we're connected. So I will definitely connect with you on LinkedIn today for Yay. sure. Um, Ashani, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I, I it's such a powerful topic and you, you just um you're just so eloquent and I just I I just really appreciate your time and your wisdom and just you know being so authentic and um, and hopefully educating others. And we're not done here. I know this is only the beginning, but um, but I just I I hope it um it helps the listeners out there to get started if they haven't started already um, with not only working on themselves, but then also teaching it to their children as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Um, I feel blessed to have had the opportunity to come onto your show um, and, and just have this, have this chance to share with everyone. And I, I pray that God continues to bless you and your podcast and your family and your business. And for everyone who's listening, um, give yourself grace. If you've made mistakes in the past, if you heard me say something today and you're like, oh man, I have gotten this so wrong, it's okay. Give yourself grace and just start fresh today. 
right? So you got this. Yes. I'm here to support you. Feel free to connect with me. And we're going to make the world a more beautiful and more equitable place for everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.